Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. I am very excited to have with me as my guest today, Stephanie Palmer. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh, And I'm so excited about having you here because you inspire me as far as what you've done and you're a couple years ahead of me in this arena and just like encompassing the entertainment and the business world. So I definitely want to hit both worlds with you and your background is clearly your foundation is in entertainment and the fact that you've done what you've done with it I think is incredible. So let me tell you a little bit about Stephanie. Stephanie Palmer helps creative people learn to pitch ideas and sell their projects. Stephanie founded Good in a Room in 2005 and is the author of the book, Good in a Room. She has been featured on the Today Show, the Los Angeles Times, National Public Radio, and has led workshops at companies including Google, William Morris Endeavor, Merrill Lynch, and Warner Brothers. She is the moderator for the American Film Market's annual pitch conference. Previously, Stephanie was the Director of Creative Affairs for MGM, where she supervised the acquisitions, development, and production of feature films. Some of her projects included 21, Legally Blonde, Be Cool, The Brothers Grimm, Agent Cody Banks, Agent Cody Banks 2, A Guy Thing, and Good Boy, Prior to MGM, she worked at Jerry Bruckheimer Films on Armageddon, Con Air, and Enemy of the State. Wow. She shares pitching advice and examples of successful pitches on her blog at goodinaroom.com. Excellent. Love that. Wow. Pretty incredible. So, okay, I would love to start. First of all, I applaud all of the tremendous work that you are doing in the creative and in the business world. Uh, Tell us about your story leading up to your work in development. Well, I wanted from a young age to be a theater director, and that is what I majored in in college. I went to Carnegie Mellon and studied theater directing and was just 100% sure that's exactly what I was going to do with the rest of my life Uh um, until I was a senior in college. And my advisor, who was the head of the directing program, he um, directed both theater but also film and TV. And he said, Stephanie, you're being foolish if you don't at least consider working in Hollywood. I think you have the right temperament for it, which maybe is sort of an insult in some way. (laughs) But but I did listen to his his advice, and he was like, at least go out to Los Angeles and try it, which I'd never even been to Los Angeles. Wow. And so I came out um, during the winter break of my senior year in college, and I interned on Titanic. And so with that 
immediate immersion into the world of Hollywood, I basically thought, oh, this is actually something I really am intrigued by. There are really smart, interesting, hardworking people here. They are trying to tell an interesting story. It's not just all the foolish cliches, you know, which also have some truth to them, too. But my East Coast snobbery um, was immediately, you know, it was a little ridiculous. So I decided, yes, this is something I'm really interested in. And then right out of college, I started working uh, at Jerry Bruckheimer Films. Oh, my gosh, that's great. It was. And it was an amazing immersion into right into the heart of hearing, you know, being an assistant and listening on the phone calls of exactly how they're making decisions and how projects are being pitched and why they're choosing certain movies or not certain movies or why certain writers are getting hired. It was really exciting. That is a great starting point. And then, and I certainly know how difficult it is to climb the ladder in the business and moving from one level to the next. So how did you parlay the assistant position moving into the executive role? Um, Well, I started, I actually then moved to MGM after Bruckheimer, and there I was the story editor. And so that's like the, you know, lowest level executive. You don't necessarily have an assistant, but you're no longer an assistant. Um, So coordinating all of the scripts that were being submitted to the studio, which was about 4,000 a year at that time. And so making sure that they were all covered and supervising the staff of readers, of course, and then move from there um, up to getting to have my own projects. So if I found something and convinced my boss to buy it, that then that got to be my project. Oh, my gosh. That's great. That was one of the real benefits of MGM, even though it was quite small at the time. You really had much more opportunity if you found something right. that you could also then get to shepherd it. Um, and so that was... And what did you find in that process as far as like learning as far as what appeared to be great on the page and sometimes did transfer into a phenomenal film and sometimes did not? Oh, I mean, there's a huge, (laughs) huge gap between some things that you think for sure are going to make amazing movies and are incredible on the page and then just totally tank as a project. I mean, and vice versa, although I think it's much more common that a great script gets damaged in the development and production process rather than like a mediocre script suddenly turns out to be an amazing movie. Right. I haven't seen that so much. Right, right. And I wonder like how much of that, like did you feel the weight and the pressure if you chose a script and then money was involved? Like was there a weight and a pressure or like did they understand that they're all in it and a choice was made and they all jumped on board and – you know, like I, w- I always wonder, like, at what what part in the process do you see the film is working or is not working? Oh, I think there were definitely times where it felt like the movie, you know, the movie is not working, but the train has already kind of left the yeah. station. Yeah. And there's no turning back, even though you see, oh, this is not, not going working. to work out yeah. the way that you hope. Um, and I think as far as pressure, though, I did feel pressure. I also was pretty naive to really how much pressure pressure I was under like now that I've had space and I'm not a studio executive anymore looking back I can think oh I should have handled that totally differently or why wasn't I scared I should have been scared I had no business supervising this multi-million dollar movie um but I you know what I love about that isn't it wild when we think about this town and how like the young hungry executive for a while it was such a romantic notion let's have a 26 year old pick a multi-million dollar film and see what happens and and then I sit there and I think 
oh my God, I can't, those, those kids must have had like heart attacks. I mean, by the time they're 30 years old. And I do know some of them that did go through like a quarter life crisis. Definitely. Because it was too much too soon. And I think that there are, I mean, I feel sort of lucky that I didn't end up with some sort of deep addiction issue or right. maybe I just got out in time. Um, you did get out in time. <laughs> so that Let's I talk about enough. that. Yes, exactly. Our, our recovery process. Yes, exactly. <laughs> not, I'm not without scars, though, exactly, let me tell you. Exactly. Isn't that so interesting? A reformed, I remember they used to always say like a reformed attorney or whatever. A recovering, recovering studio executive. Yeah, recovering yes. studio executive mm-hmm. now. And I thought, okay, I get it. I connect with that. So speaking of that, so you did that for a number of years. And then what was the impetus, the trigger that said, this is no longer my path and I think there's something more? Well, I had been an executive for a number of years and I was sort of starting to think, okay, well, I've gotten to this place and the next job that I would get promoted to, I I don't think I actually want that job. Right. And so I thought, well, oh my gosh, this is what am I going to do? There aren't so many jobs that you can transfer these skills to. Um, and if I don't want to be continuing on the executive path, which is what everyone thinks you should be doing, what is it that I want to do? And right. so I really took some time to think about what are the aspects of my job that I really enjoy and what are the parts that I could let go of being an executive. And the part that I really, really enjoyed was working with writers, and I really liked the beginning right. of the process. So right. the discovery of the project, the pitching of the project, like navigating and strategizing, how am I going to pitch this project to my boss to get him to buy it? Right. That was really something that I felt I was naturally good at, but that also I really enjoyed. And I thought, okay, well, how could I do this? How could I make that be what I actually do on a day-to-day basis? Right. And part of it was that there was one writer um, who I, he had come into my office and I, I, he was a new writer. I'd read his spec. I really liked it. I thought there really, he had a great voice and there was something really fresh there. But when I met him, he was just kind of a disaster right. in the room, you know, right. really nervous. And, right. and I knew that I couldn't bring him in front of my boss, that he would be like, Stephanie, no, this guy's too green. No way. No way. We can't buy this project. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to, this is just my little experiment. Let's see if I can talk to him and help him and give him the expectations of what he should do in the meeting with my boss and so we we you know practiced it in my office and then the next day he came in and he did so great my boss bought the project i love it later i found out this writer was basically living on his brother's couch and was going to have to move back home because he was totally out of money so like mate it was a big turning point for him and it felt so satisfying and i was like okay here he had a good idea this this is this is something that i can do and i really enjoy it so Right. And was it scary at first? Oh, starting my own business, of course. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And a total change of pace from where tons of people are calling you and you're getting tons of phone calls and everyone wants you to do a thousand things and you have bosses that are telling you exactly what to do to transition to being like, oh, I have to tell myself what to do and decide of all these things I could do, what yeah. I should be doing. Yeah. So that was definitely a transition. I also, it's interesting, like I also think part of the transition, and tell me, I know with us both having gone through that, it, it, it was almost like it, part of the transition for me was going from Jen Grisanti, the television executive, the studio executive, the vice president, 
to letting that go, to recognizing that was something that was going to be mentioned as a part of the foundation, but that no longer was the identity. And it was letting that go and really, really being fulfilled by the new identity, but also I think it was also searching within the new identity. Like what was it? How do you define it? Um, was it going to be received in the same type of way? And and there were so many questions, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that even the more time passes and the more my clients in this business have success, I feel like I'm resting much more on that foundation. Right. But it's almost like I, at times I wish I didn't even have to bring up that I was a studio executive. Right. Because people have such a perception of what that is, both negative and positive. Yeah. Um, and it feels like that was another chapter of my life, but yeah. that's really not the life that I am living right now. Day and to tell day me at all. about your life. Like I want to, because I feel like you went through this incredible journey too of like being in town to moving to Santa Fe, a place that you love, which is also a huge art community and creatives are there by the tons, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. It is a huge creative place. And it really was part of the dream for me of right. when I was thinking, okay, if this is not the life that I want to have as a studio executive for the future, I am grateful for the right. time that I have. Wouldn't trade it. So glad I, I had that opportunity for yeah. sure. Um, but also the that I was ready for a change and that for me having a family and raising a family outside of Los Angeles was something that was really like a dream like how could I make that happen for myself and, and I was and I wouldn't be able to do that if I was still an executive there right. would be no way right. but with the amazing technology that right. I can basically have face-to-face -face meetings using Skype and right. Google Hangout right. and still communicate with my clients and create change right. just using technology Isn't in a kind of wild? amazing, amazing way. I heard another thing, and I haven't used it yet because I have to get the, the, I have the iPad, but not the 4G one, that FaceTime is supposed to be great too. Uh, I use FaceTime too. Oh, it is. You? It's amazing. That's what I hear. And I really was kind of suspicious when I moved to Santa Fe. Right. I thought, Can, is it possible? How is this going to change my business? And it has changed, but, but for the better in right. the way that you really can it's, it's not you as good yeah. as face-to-face, -face, but you really can have a real connection and communicate. And Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I, I have clients all over the world, and, it, and people, I think, are a little skeptical at first. And then when you do it, it's, it, it is almost the exact same thing. I mean, I almost even think it's more intimate because you don't have any distractions. I agree. And, you know? and the person's comfortable because they're in their own. Yes. Environment. They're on the, their own yeah. house. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. No, I think that's great. But you still come to L.A. how often? You're Usually still... about once a quarter. Like, See, I'm here this great. time for American Film Markets on Saturday, so right. I'm moderating the pitch conference. Good. Um, Good. But, I mean, if people need me, it's only an hour and a half, so I can be here fast. Oh, um, that's great. But, but I have been surprised how much people really, the phone and the Internet. Yeah. Do know, it all. Do yeah. do so much. Yeah, do it all. And it like being in Santa Fe. Have you? Do you do seminars there? Like, I haven't yet. Um, interesting. <laughs> I haven't yet. Right. Just because the the places. I mean, I love coming to L.A. or right. Chicago or New York or somewhere exciting. Right. Um. That I really haven't done it locally, but they're they're. It is something I that I could explore if I wanted to. Have to. You yes. Do it locally. <laughs> 
It is it is a fascinating thing because I do look now. Do they have a big film thing festival they do. there? They do. That's they, what I heard mm-hmm. about. They have an independent film festival. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, that's terrific. What now? AFM. Tell me a little bit about. I've never been to that. It is a madhouse. Is it that I've heard? And I've had people. I was approached by them, and they said, "Do you want to?" And it just couldn't coordinate. And and so like when people go to AFM, give us a sense of what. There, it's all certainly about. the people who are going to AFM, the majority are people who have completed films and they're right. selling the films to foreign territories. So, I mean, it's primarily international. And that's what's exciting is right. like today, just when I was there, I mean, you're seeing people from all around the world all making deals. And right. I mean, something some I should look it up, but I feel like it was eight hundred million dollars in deals. Something like that happens oh, at AFM wow. each year. I mean, it's massive, massive. Um, so I could have that number wrong. Be. Yes, yeah. definitely. But for my part, um, they have five conferences, and one of them is the pitch conference right. every year. And so a thousand people in the main ballroom at the Fairmont, and Cassie and Elwes and Tobin Armbrus from Exclusive um, and myself, basically we pull names from the hat of anyone in the audience who wants to pitch, and they have a short amount of time up in front of these a thousand people. Oh <laughs> And they pitch, and then basically Cassian and Tobin eviscerate their pitch, but also tell them, you know, exactly what they think. And it's kind of an amazing opportunity to hear what decision makers really think. I love that. And also, I think that one of the interesting things is that a lot of, you know, even successful working writers don't often have the chance to hear how other writers pitch. Right. And so you get to see both the different styles of the way that people pitch, but also what people are thinking about oh the pitch. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. At the Fairmont in Santa Monica? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when is the pitch conference? That I know? It's this Saturday. So I don't – it's yeah, yeah, I know. November yeah. 3rd. Um, but it's every – it's the first weekend in November every year. Oh, that's great. All right. So everybody out there, you, it, if there are a 1,000 people there, I would imagine many of my listeners – are going to be there. So that is fantastic. Uh, okay. So with that, let's jump into the idea of pitching. So for actually, first, I want to start with, um, because your, your, your expertise is definitely in the pitch and also in having a winning delivery in the room overall. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to cover both of those areas. Okay, why don't we, and both of those areas were the impetus for you writing the book. Tell, why don't you, why don't we start with the book and then we'll go into each area. So with your book, uh, Good in a Room, what started that, all of that? And what was the creative process like? Like what, how did you pitch the book? Well, I was interviewed on KCRW's The Business. Mm-hmm. And after the interview, an agent, Richard Abate, called me and said, you should write a book. And I said, okay, what a great idea. I know this doesn't happen all the time. The right. agent calls you. Um, and right. so <laughs> I was That's like, true. really? A cold call from an agent? How exciting. <laughs> um, and so I knew to jump, you know, when that happened. And right. I, I had hoped to write a book at some point in the future, but that was not at all what I was working on right at that time as right. I was pretty much starting my business. Um, but I Worked on the proposal, and I went to New York, and I met with all the big publishers, and Random House bought it. Oh, my God, Random House. See, that's massive. Wow. And what has the experience been like for you? Like, so you wrote – how long did it take you to write the book? 
Um, well, I thought six months. That's mm-hmm. what I put in my contract. And then I have a huge new appreciation for writers that I unfortunately did not have when I was an executive and I had not written um, a book at that point. Right. Um, But it took me 14 months. Yeah. So it well, it's a big book. How many how many words? I think it was 60,000 words. Something in that range. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's true. It seems bigger because it's hardback. And yeah. Yeah. So I mean, when I looked at my computer, I think there were 23 drafts, not drafts of the entire thing. But yes. What I turned in was draft 23. And it's a phenomenal book. I like look I was looking at the book before this interview and saw that I had dog-eared like so many pages. It's such valuable information. I highly highly recommend the book. If you have not read it, it's called Good in a Room. You can get it on amazon.com and probably any of the major entertainment stores, bookstores, yeah. So, um so okay, so 14 months. Actually, my book Change Your Story, Change Your Life that I just finished. That took around that, that it did. time. Yeah, it did. Whereas Storyline took me four months. But Storyline was in me for 17 years. So it was ready to, come to out. be birthed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Change Your Story, Change Your Life, it was researching so many stories that went into the concept as well as my own stories. So it definitely was a lot more time and well, energy. And, and that makes sense because yeah. that's, that's what I think for me too since I was starting and I really hadn't done that. I didn't have that many clients in business. Right. So I was doing more research whereas now if I was writing the book seven years in it would be much easier because I could say oh this client story and this client story yes. and here's an example yes. but I really didn't have that many examples when I was writing the book initially. Which is fantastic thinking that you were still able. I mean I have to admit like I... Let me think. I wrote Storyline, I think, in my second year of my business. Second or third year of my business. I think it was my second. And um, and I wish I had done one. I wish I had started a book the first year. I have to admit. Because it just, it aligns. Like, it really creates a platform for the business in a major way, it just takes a lot of time. And it forces you yeah. and me to yeah. figure out exactly what you believe. Yes. You know, and what's I agree. important and prioritize. Your own voice. Mm-hmm. It, it's so true. No, it's very true. What, like when you think about the book process, and I certainly know that I went through like what your expectation and what you imagined it was going to be like versus what the experience actually was. Do you mean of the writing process? Of or after, after, it came after the out? book was was launched. Hmm. Um, well, I would say that the. Hmm. Like, were you? Did you have? Like, I certainly know nowadays writers. You are directly linked with the success of your book. Meaning, oh, as yeah. far as you marketing yes. it. Well, I think I I had the expectation that I would be doing 100% of it right. because I had worked with other authors right. even before, you know, just that I had friends who were authors and, and published with big publishers and they said they were totally, you know, upset and frustrated that they felt like they had to do everything. So I think that was my expectation that I would be doing everything. Right. So anything that the publisher did was like a bonus to me. Right. So I actually was pleased. Right. Because the publisher, you know, they got the Today Show interview and I was on the early show and I the got lots of got the, the publisher Today did. Show. Not wow. So so to me they they did great. Right. Um, and they were setting up a ton more. That's fantastic. 
you know, so they so they exceeded my expectations. Because marketing was part of what they offered with the writing of the book. That's exactly. Great. That's great. Well, and I think nowadays it's interesting to, it's almost like the author has to have the built-in social media and everything else. It's almost like... How many people do you have on Facebook? How many people do you have on Twitter? Exactly. And Your all, platform yeah, it is, is essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hugely. Hugely. Did you find that your platform grew in an enormous way as a result of all of this? Um, it did, but not. But if I were to do another book right now, right. I would be... I could be so much more strategic and right. understand so much more how to utilize the tools that are right. available to us and social media. I mean, I've only been on Twitter for two months, but I've grown to love it, which right. I thought, ew. Well, I tell people to learn how to what this follow is. you on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Good in a Room. No good. surprise there. Good, good. Um, but I really, I, I mean, I love it. I good. think it's been a great, I mean, I've and learned so Facebook? much. And Facebook, too. I good. mean, same, surprisingly, also Good in a Room. Right, um, right, good. But, but I'm... You know, there's still so much to learn, and that's that's an area that I'm starting to spend a little more time on, especially as I'm expanding more um, yeah. internationally. Yeah. No, I think that is fantastic. Now, and also on that topic, so when you first pitched the book, I think if I remember when you and I discussed, it was going to be a book primarily for writers, and then you were encouraged by Random House to expand into the business market. Did that frighten you at first, or did that were you on board with the idea of that from the beginning, or or what was that process like? Again, I think I was a little naive. Yeah, but I was like, "Great, right? You, you're a big publisher. You right. think there's a big audience? Fantastic! I'll figure it out." Right. Um. And so then the reality set in when I was like, "Oh." now I have to write this. What is it that I'm going to say? Because I really have only worked in Hollywood and I have a few business clients, but at that point I didn't have a huge business base. So, hmm, better figure this out. (laughs) I'm going to figure this out. So at that moment, definitely the, uh, you know, the panic set in a little bit there, but I, but ultimately I figured it out or I, you know, use stories from other parts of my life or friends and family right? Um, and interviewed a lot of people to right. inspire the stories that I used. That is, book. yeah, no, that is great. And I have to admit, like, I think now so many of us in the entertainment business, I'm expanding my business into storytelling and business. And I'm very, very excited about it because of the simple recognition that the tools that we learn in the story world are so valuable in the business world. They are. And sometimes the tools that work in Hollywood even work better in the business world. And I think that you have so much opportunity. I mean, your message is so welcome and needed in the business world. And I think that that the same way that in some businesses, not all, that the Hollywood aspect is really exciting and different. I mean, there's also some, some business audiences, it's seen with total suspicion right and, right, you know, right 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 you got to break through that yeah yeah, right. yeah. you got to break through mm-hmm. it i agree now i'm very excited about that okay with that we are going to take a break and then when we get back we are going to dive into your philosophy on pitching in a room and being good in the room for both the writer and the business person we are here with stephanie palmer and this is jen grisanti at Storywise podcast you're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. 
StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Stephanie Palmer, author of Good in a Room. All right, so let's get to the gold of what uh, you consider to be some of the um, tools and techniques for a great pitch and some of what you consider will help people to be very strong in a room. I know you're just going to give us like a tease. People can get the book. They can work with you. But still, uh, I I would love for you to share some of what you've learned. Sure. Well, I think one of the easiest things to do is if you're just thinking about a pitch is that there are many ways that pitches can go awry, Mm -hmm. but almost all good pitches have one key aspect, and that's that they're short. And so preparing ahead of time, editing down your pitch. Right. Um, I mean, if you do totally only one agree. thing, it's really <laughs> totally cutting agree. it down. Yeah. And remember that the person who's listening is hearing it for the first time. So speak less and mm-hmm. speak a little more slowly, because the more you say, the less they hear. Interesting. I love that. The more you say, the less they hear. That's great. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think, you know, it's fascinating because I know I am always changing my pitch formula because I hear so many pitches and there are so many points that I'm like, that I'm, you know, that I'm like, okay, this is too much and get to the meat and tell me what it is. And like I often advise writers, you know, to give the the antidote of what inspired the story, give the logline uh, with a pilot. I'd tell them give a series logline, give a pilot logline so that we understand how you go into the concept through the A story and your audience knows where you're going. So they're not like waiting for you to go through 10 characters and the world and they're going, well, what is this? Exactly. Well, and I think that in feature pitches, it seems so simple, but Mm -hmm. one of the things that people overlook is the genre, is explicitly stating the genre. Right. So, and I mean, really saying like, my story is a drama right. is a thriller because it's it's the just as you're saying it's like the way that you're the order that you're presenting the information that the person who's hearing that verbally needs to know like if you tell me it's a project about the CIA mm-hmm. you might mean it's a thriller like 3 days of the condor but i might think it's a drama like the good shepherd or even a comedy like meet the parents right. and so i'm listening to your pitch but it's not the the beats aren't adding up for what my expectations are so it's very easy if you don't start with a genre right up front that the person listening could make incorrect assumptions about your story or get confused. That's a very good point. I love I love to hear that because in the feature world, there are su- such a large scope of what the tone of your, your, your pitch is going to be. That is great. So, all right. So now, and give me a sense of like in your consult. So a writer contacts you and says, Stephanie, 
uh, I need to work on my pitch. I'm going to pitch at this place. What What are your consults like? Like, how do you work? The first them? thing is a questionnaire. So I uh-huh. would send them a questionnaire so that I know much more in detail about what their personal goals are mm-hmm. and their project. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would work over Skype or Google Hangouts or FaceTime. You know, any of these ways to talk about their specific project and how that aligns with their career strategy. Great. So it's like. It needs to be that the the way that they present themselves, the way that they present their project, all need to be in alignment with where what their strategic goal right. is, like where they want to end up. Because so often people work on a project, but it actually is not heading them in the direction where they really want to end up. Right. And so I want to make sure that their priority project is is headed in the right direction that people are perceiving them. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really so it's a. It's not just working on the project. Right. I mean, they have to have a good idea. All of the pitch coaching in the world is not going to save right. something that's you know fundamentally flawed. So right. that's that's by far the first most important thing right. to sell a project. Yeah, it has I to be that. a good idea. Right. But then it also, you know, uh, those pitches that are successful are often because it's a good idea and it's a person that you want to work with. Right. Going into that. So, and I know, I'm sure, as you mentioned, that great story with that guy. And there are many writers who have very strong scripts, very strong ideas, and then blow it in the room. So what are some valuable tips for writers to succeed in the room? Well, I think one thing is knowing what to expect. A lot of times nerves come out are because it's really just a fear of the unknown or, you know, if you have 20 pitch meetings, certainly that, you know, 19th and 20th is going to be better than the first and the second and the third. So knowing ahead of time that just like screenplays are structured in three acts, pitch meetings have five stages. So almost all pitch meetings start with building rapport. Mm -hmm. Then there's a little information gathering. Then you do your pitch. Then there's a question and answer. And then there's a close to the meeting. So knowing what's going to happen ahead of time and preparing particularly for that question and answer section of the meeting. Right. Because that's really where the deal is going to happen. Or if people are asking you questions that, you know, they're going to ask you questions about the part that they're interested in. That's a lot of times where they're going to decide, yes, we're interested in moving forward or no, we're not. But it's also the part that a lot of times people just don't prepare and they say, I'm just going to wing it. But right. that's the crucial, you know, just yeah. so much is at stake that's in what that leads section. To the sale. Yes. Right. And that's where they're testing. You know, sometimes they writers say, well, they were really asking me a lot of questions and that freaked me out. And it's like, no, that's wonderful. That means they're interested and they're sort of testing you in almost like a devil's advocate way of like, can this person handle themselves in future scenarios? You know, if we, if we say yes to this project and someone's giving them a lot of notes, how are they going to handle it? Like they're moving forward because they're interested and they want to see how you can handle Tough questions and the pressure. Well, and also I think, too, it it is like I often tell writers, I say, what you got to recognize is, first of all, half the people you're seeing in Hollywood want to write, even though they're the executive yes. in the chair. Yes. <laughs> they want to be where Absolutely. you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's like take the intimidation out and recognize it is an even playing ground where they want it to work as much as you want it to work. And, you know, because I think, and, and also it, it's fascinating. Like I remember 
At the beginning of when I started my business, I did uh, an event in Seattle. I was brought there by the Seattle, the Northwestern Screenwriters. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've been there yeah, with them, been there? too. Yeah, They're so great. nice. Yeah. They are fantastic. <laughs> and I had an eight-hour event. And <gasps> I remember, like, it was, it was a three-day thing. I, they did a panel with me on Friday, and I was fine. And then Saturday, I woke up, and I thought, okay. This is my first um, away seminar where I did not know one person in the audience. And the panic, like, I, I, it didn't really hit me when I was thinking about it. But then when I got up on stage and my heart started beating out of my chest and my mouth was so dry. And I just remember how, and it was like someone took an eraser to my brain and erased 17 years of knowledge. And I had a PowerPoint presentation. Should have been fine, should have, but it was such a valuable lesson because I, I mean, it just took me five minutes to move through it. And how I got over it was I said, why don't we go around the room and some of you share with me what you're hoping to get from this experience. And as soon as I felt like I knew them, which I think goes into the five-part process, Mm -hmm. which is so important because I think when there's an exchange of information and you feel comfortable, but, but the biggest thing I learned too was I got on the plane and I thought, okay, Jen, you have... 17 years of knowledge and expertise to share, and yet you have never picked up one book on presenting. <laughs> and it just well. hit me. <laughs> and I was like, oh. and you know, and I got home and I bought like Jerry Weissman's Presenting to Win. Yes, and that was a yes, good one. Yes, exactly, I've read that too, for sure. <laughs> and, and in it, Jerry's like, okay, when it comes to nerves, if you are prepared you will not be nervous. Mm-hmm. So it was so simple and spoke so loudly. And and so I really try to tell writers things like that, like get presenting to win, read books on presenting, read Michael Haig's pitch in less than 60 mm-hmm. seconds, and really know what you're going into. Read good in a room. Understand the tools. Understand what to expect and prepare. Well, and, but what you did was so beautiful and is something that I recommend for people too, is to ask questions of the other person. Yes. So even the executive may be feeling a little anxious or you're still meeting someone who's a stranger and they're sort of wanting to settle in and get to know you. Who are you? Who is this person? So if you can come in and ask the executive a question or two, right. what is it something that they're working on that they're excited about, yeah. um, you know, compliment them on something so that you're, you're putting your focus, I call it 100% outward focus. Like yes. if you're really prepared, particularly right. in that beginning part of the meeting, before you start talking about your project, really putting your focus out there, yeah. a lot of times that can sort of reduce the nerves because you're not just thinking, oh, what are they thinking of me? Do they like me? Am I sweating? You know, right. all of those right. sort of nervous, you know, self-talk. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that I think that is great. Well, and speaking of which, what about you now as far as like you were thrust into the 
media world and these huge companies. Like, did you ever get nervous? And what have you learned along the way with all the presentations and all the interviews that you've done? Uh, do I get nervous? Have I been nervous? Yes. Do right. I get nervous? Yes. Right. I am absolutely not immune. And right. sometimes I feel the pressure because my company name is good in a room that, boy, I better at least be able to right. present myself well. But absolutely, there are times where I get nervous. Right. Um, and so one of the things that I like to do is right. have a practice meeting. Right. And I recommend this for writers, too. Great. That it's even if it's your friend or if you're having a series of meetings, have the meeting that you care the least, the person who is the least likely to buy your project first. Right. And that you really go in and practice and and treat it like a real thing so that it's so much more likely that the next meeting will then go better and you sort of get your nerves out. And so I if I'm giving a big presentation, say, to a group that I've never spoken to before, I will organize amongst my friends and say, you know, like I recently did a presentation for a group of scientists and and way beyond my scientific, you know, knowledge, right. way, way beyond. Right. And so I, you know, sent out an email to my friends and my husband's friends of like, does any, who are the smartest people in, you know, aeroscience that you know, could they, would you come over and I'll feed you dinner and give my presentation and you give me feedback. Oh my gosh, I love that. So I absolutely do that. And uh, I mean, I'm still learning. Right. For sure. That is fantastic. You know, you present incredibly well. I'm going to tell you that. Now, okay, so uh, so we talked about the entertainment versus the business world. Tell me how, like, how was it when you did your first uh, foray into teaching business people how to be good in a room, how to pitch? What What was that experience like? I've heard from other entertainment consultants that have done both that the business world the audience is very different versus the entertainment world yes well I have done a lot of work with Merrill Lynch financial advisors Mm -hmm. both um, their top producers and also their women's uh, you know female uh, financial advisors have their own group within Merrill Lynch so I've done both right Um, but certainly the biggest surprise when I did the first Merrill Lynch um, presentation which was at their they have like training facility, I mean, very nice in Princeton, New Jersey, Great. was that everyone was wearing suits and it was basically all white men, all extremely clean cut. Right. Um, and, you know, just having to remind myself like, oh, right, right. This is just a different, a different, different everyone's makeup. wearing, yes. you know, Navy suits right. and very crisp blue right. shirts and ties and the whole. Um, so it was just very different from Hollywood. not a huge part of it. Yeah. Yes. It, very different from a typical screenwriting yes. audience wearing jeans and much more casual. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So, but actually that, that the thing that's been really gratifying is that a lot of the messages the same I the same principles apply right and that what I have learned in so far and still plenty to learn is that what they are looking for is really they want to know what's unique about my experience that applies to them mm-hmm. and the more that when I was talking with the person who hired me initially saying like oh well, I'm reading up all about Merrill Lynch and I'm learning these different people he's like no 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 you don't need to learn anything about Merrill Lynch they know all about the internal they want to just hear your perspective and the more that you're true to the things that are important to you they'll make up you know they can draw the bridge of they how that applies that to into them their world right and that works so much more right effectively for me but also for them and that so, was a great piece of advice it I was like that yeah i like i like the idea of taking 
that out because they're paying you for your perspective on your world and what you've done and how that can help them. So I, I think that was, an, I love that. That was excellent guidance. Okay, so let's go into like the Today Show. So what was what was that like? Um, it was very exciting. It was fun. I mean, it was it was also one of those sort of surreal. It happened so quickly, you can't believe it's over kind of experiences. And that kind of exposure. So did that? Do you feel like? How did you utilize that? I'm sure it's part of your press packet and all that, but. Did that open doors? Did that? It did, did open you... doors, but interestingly, um, doing something like the business on KCRW, mm -hmm. which is so much more of a target audience, right. worked so much more effectively than right. the Today Show, which has, of course, zillions of eyeballs, and everyone thinks TV is very exciting, but a lot of it are mothers at home right. um, with their families, not necessarily my, Your audience. my target audience. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, like with Twitter and stuff, it's like ADD. Like you, you see it and it's gone. Like you see it, you absorb it, but then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think being in a target um, platform is is probably better with regards to connecting to a sale or something going further. Um, now, let's see what. OK, so the business person, as far as being in the room, so w are there any variations in what you would say a writer being good in a room versus an entrepreneur being good in a room? Uh, the only the main difference is really what the expectations are as far as the closing uh -huh. part of the meeting that in Hollywood, you really are not like asking for the sale. You're sort of just assuming that if they're interested, they'll say yes. You're not just saying, you know, bye, 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 my script like that's a deal breaker you would not do right. that um, that's good for hollywood people to know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, that's true <laughs> um but there are other ways of closing that that people do in business but pretty much it is the the, the techniques same. are the same they yeah. really are the same well and i like the idea of your five different ways of looking at being in a room and i think really being prepared for all of those. I think when people get nervous, too, when you think about your story, like I can't tell you how many people will read their pitches and go into and you want to just say, you know your story. Tell, tell me your, your story. story. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to visualize it. I want to see it. I want to feel your passion. I don't want you to read it. I don't want it to feel like you're reading it. I don't want it to feel like you memorized it. Exactly. I want you to tell me your story. And so I also think it's it's for people trusting in what they know. You know? I think that's absolutely true. And I also think that one of the things that people really underestimate is how much time goes into preparation for people who successfully sell pitches. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times people think, oh, or they just wave it off like, oh, I just threw that together and it's sold. But in reality, they've spent months, yeah. and, you know, the last two weeks full time tweaking every word, practicing getting everything perfect so that so perfect that then they can perform it so right. that it feels very natural and yeah. casual yes and not practiced and polished now being in the room so when you've been in the room i'm sure you've been in the room in both situations where the idea was so good and it would seem like the sale was definitely going to happen and then didn't because of the pitch or you didn't think the sale was going to happen, but the pitch was so good 
that it did. What what would be some of the t- techniques in the room that you've seen have led a not so great idea into a sale because of maybe some of the performance te- techniques? Well, there are certainly some of those gifted performers yes. who you just are so are swayed like by their charisma yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, they're stand-up comedians and you're just rolling and, you know, they're so amazing. So there there are those performance people, but those generally are not the people who I'm working with, right. <laughs> you know, who just right. sell everything immediately. Right. It's more the people who have the really great idea, right. but they haven't focused on how to sell it. So right. I think that thinking of a pitch... It's sort of like um, a lot of times people think that a good idea should just sell itself. Mm -hmm. But we know that that's not really true. Like if we're in the grocery store and there's a really ugly package, we're not likely to buy it even if the product inside is good. Right. So I think that good ideas do deserve a good pitch. Right. And that the pitch is just like a sales tool for your project. And it's this compelling simple, clear description of what your project is that makes the other person want to know more. Right. And so it's just that, you know, not telling too much, but just not enough that they are intrigued. Yeah. That reminds me of, what, what was that book, The Art of the Woo? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It reminds uh-huh. me of that. You know, no, that is, that is great. I love it. All right. So thinking about, and uh, we'll be winding up soon, in thinking about your book. So... Your book, the target audience, what would be like a selling point for you? Like if you say, hey, my book is great for you because of, or if you are going to be doing this, then this would be a great book for you. It's really if you are, particularly for the writers who are listening, if it's mm-hmm. some, if they have a meeting coming up and mm-hmm. they're feeling anxious about it, how to prepare for that meeting. Um, and for the business audience, the clients who I primarily work with are entrepreneurs or business owners who have a project and they're looking for financing mm-hmm. or they're looking to grow their business and get new clients. Great. Great, great, great. All right. Now, how do people contact you? Goodinaroom.com. 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 <laughs> I love it. It's so simple. It's so easy. I, I think that's great. What made you come up with that title? Um, well, I just was thinking about, you know, this was the this the helping people to present their ideas was what I wanted to talk about. And mm-hmm. so I was really thinking, what could that be? And I didn't come up with the name Good in a Room. I mean, for those most people know, but that it is a common phrase that agents right. and executive use. Right. And that after almost every meeting with a writer, the agent would call me and say, was my client good in a room? Right. And eventually I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's that's the idea. Well, and I think that the reason I love the title so much is because what you're saying about a pitch is be clear, concise, and to the point. And that's what the title is. Like, that's what the name of your company is. Like, there's no question about what it is. It's all there. It's like your high concept. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. So, um, in closing, what gold nugget? Do you, I know we talked about a few tips and techniques, but if you were to think of, say, one thing, since we've merged both business person and writer, if you were to think of one final thing that you want to leave people with as far as what they should remember going into a room and not to forget, what would that be? 
it would be to take time at the beginning of the meeting to build rapport because you want to connect with the other person. It Mm -hmm. seems that small talk, that little chit chat at the beginning is really important because you want to have the decision maker's attention before you start to pitch. Great. Excellent. 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 All right. With that, we are done. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You got it. Is there anything else that you wanted to do? You have any any events or anything that you wanted to promote? Um, I have some exciting events planned for 2013. Okay, good. And actually, I will say that there is a free course, a free seven-day course of seven days to creating a better pitch for your screenplay available on my website at goodinaroom.com. Oh, that's excellent. And do you have a newsletter? I do. Of course. Mm -hmm. I know that. I'm on it. So uh, sign up for Stephanie's newsletter, and then you'll hear not only you'll be able to find out about the seven-day event, but also about all of our upcoming events in 2013. Very, very exciting. All right. In closing, I did want to mention a few upcoming events with Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. In January, I am going to be doing the TV Writers Summit in London, January 26th and 27th. And in February, the TV Writers Summit will be in Los Angeles the week of... Uh, the 9th and 10th of February and you can go to tvwritersummit.com for more information on both events. Then in February I am going to be doing the TV Writers Studio Conference. It is going to be in Australia. We are going to be in Sydney and in Melbourne on the dates of February 21st through March 3rd and you can find out more information on my website under events and seminars and at tvwritersstudioconference.com This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.